Mario heard yesterday was the best space ever because I was uh, not speaking. No, That's what you told me. No, I never said that. I never said that. But I think you read the comments. Uh, but yeah, I, I never personally said that. It was implied. Uh, again, I never said it. If the comments say it has nothing to do with them, people That's true. choose what they want even to if say. They're your, I do not, even if they're your... I do not influence what they say. Accounts. I do not influence yeah. what they say. Yeah. My burner account. <laughs> I like how you choose your words carefully. <laughs> do not hurt my feelings. No, I have nothing to do with the comments. I do not influence them in any way. <clears throat> you can take the feedback as you see fit. Um, so if you do, do. if you do want to... Constructive. If you want to mute your mic and stay quiet... I don't feel bad. That's what I'm going to say. But if you want to speak... I'm, I'm largely going to do that today. Um, I'm a mess. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, what's happening? How sick are you? Pretty sick. Uh, but, but I think improving. But I, 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 I'm sick and then I had to travel. And so not, not ideal. But uh, that's what happens when you have kids. All my kids were sick. Wife was sick. So that means I get sick. That's how it works. Anybody who's ever had children knows that it's inevitable. Uh, by the way, I... Um... I'm going to the U.S. It's not confirmed yet, but I'm going to the U.S. for a, so I'm moderating a big panel uh, with a bunch of politicians in a couple of weeks. So we could finally have that beautiful bro hug in uh, where? Washington. Wait, where? Have you guys not met each other? Have you Wait. guys not met each other yet? Uh, no, no. But I waved at him. I waved at him up to his window in Dubai when I chose golf. Yeah, and I gave him the finger. I was playing night golf. But then again, like Ryan, you're, you, um, you're meeting me in, in that room is a very rare occurrence. Like I, I, I'm, I'm extremely introverted, not introverted, but I avoid meeting right, you. I, I thought we said we're not talking about the time that I came up to your room, bro. You never came to my room. It's you all never. coming out now. Nah, it is I'll, I'll, we'll keep it between. We'll keep it past us three. I saw the mattress on the floor. The mattress on the floor and the and the bottles of water. That's like the only thing in the room. <laughs> yeah, it's and, and like a, supplements and a computer, bro, and a computer and the supplements. Living. You know, they, there's all those memes. It's like men will make a uh, you know million dollars in a bear mar- bull market and live like this. Mattress, bro. It's like, it's like a mattress on the floor mattress. in a video game. Mm, but you gotta you gotta you gotta come to Washington, Scott. I don't know. I, I, I'll come see. Wait, um, when is it though? I, I'm, I'm actually I'm supposed to go. I think in May for the first, blockchain first association or second week or something of like March. that. I look, but. but I'm literally gonna go there for a day or two, do the panel, and then leave. I don't I don't like being away from home. Got it. Cool. All right. Well, you guys should dive in here. Um. Cool. Yeah. Let, let, let's kick it off. I was actually watching Rand's show before this. Um. So glad we have the, the Rand himself. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. So you're one of the guests that doesn't you know you jump on here and there. It's a pleasure to have you every once in a while, bro. Sorry, I've been very. I was very sick, man. I, lost, I told you I lost six and a half kilos in the last couple of since since Friday. I lost six and a half kilos. I mean, today I ate probably one kilo, so I put probably a kilo back. But I lost six and a half kilos from the stomach from the stomach virus. But I, I got destroyed. Anyway, um, this can you hear me? I don't know if you guys can hear me. Uh, yeah, we can hear you. We can hear you. Um, yeah. So so uh, uh, yeah. Let's kick off the show. If you can hear yeah, me, can and hear I tell you I'm having a stomach virus. You should say, "Bro, how are you feeling?" You know, like you should something. No, no, right? I just got a, I just got a message that caught my attention. I got. Um, <laughs> fuck right, it, I'm just gonna ignore the message. Let me focus on the show. Yes, yeah, so I was going through the agenda. I was going through um, what you were talking about as well. So I was listening to it earlier, and you were kind of pretty proud after tweeting that today looks like a good day, and I think Bitcoin's up what seven percent. So yeah, what what actually happened is you know that the ETFs are settling on T plus one. Which means if we have a good ETF day today, then effectively the, the, 
they have to settle the next day, which means that the buying actually only happens after the fact. And so when, when you see like yesterday, even though the inflation numbers were bad and that took the markets down, what we had was that we had a very good ETF inflow day. And because we had a very, very good ETF inflow day, we kind of, you could look at data and tell them they're going to have to come into the market and actually buy up these Bitcoin. And that's what's happening. And so right now we're in a position where the ETF trade is actually starting to gain momentum. And someone explained it to me pretty well. And they said, look, you know, you have this, this army of wealth advisors who's now starting to shill these products, for lack of a better word. Um, and the, the sale cycle is not immediate. So they don't go to a client and then, you know, tomorrow morning the client buys Bitcoin. You know, the clients have got to go and present to their clients and it's, it's like it's a process. And only at the next investment meeting, be it, you know, at the end of the week or the next month or the quarterly, then they make the decision to actually allocate to these ETFs, right? And so what we're seeing now is we're seeing this like army of advisors basically going out and now the sales cycle is actually starting to close, which is why you're starting to see an acceleration in, in, the, in the BlackRock numbers and, and, and in the ETF inflow numbers. You're starting to see this like this acceleration. And so no matter what happens in the macro markets, for as long as we start getting this acceleration, um, it, you can almost say that it's going to, is, that it's going to um, support the, the Bitcoin, uh, to support the Bitcoin price. And so there's a tweet that I want to talk about. I actually want to talk about, yeah, I want to, I want to just keep play one, uh, just uh, read a tweet to you guys. Give me one second, just to skip my laptop on. Um, just give me a second. I've got so, the agenda. Which which tweet is this? Who's it by? Uh, don't worry, I've got it in front of me, sir. Don't worry, sir. Don't worry. It's all under all under control. Yeah, all under control. Um, the tweet says. Uh, it says the following. It says, the 2020 bull market uh, was primarily fueled by borrowed money and leverage, and that's the three arrows: capital borrowing from Genesis to buy uh, GBTC, Terra Luna buying from uh, buying Bitcoin to issue stablecoins, DGNs borrowing from Binance for 100x perps. MicroStrategy borrowing from bondholders to acquire Bitcoin. This market is actually based on asset allocation, not on, on, all, this, uh, on all this leverage. And so I think that's the tweet. That's the tweet which kind of highlights the, the stage of the cycle that we're in. And it's not like we're not relying on, on, on leverage from a bunch of crypto bros. Um, this is a, a bull market which is actually powered by, by asset allocation, which is, I think, uh, I think that, that's the narrative. So I think that's that's effectively I think what's happening in in the market. I think that um, that's why we're pumping we're pumping like crazy. And you can kind of say that you can watch the the ETF inflows, and if if there's high ETF inflows on on the one day, then you can assume that there's going to be huge buying on the next day, which is uh, which is quite big. One so, little so just adjustment. Give the numbers. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, w one little adjustment to what Rand said. Retail is not here in large numbers yet. So financial advisors, most of those platforms have not approved these products yet. And not only have they not approved the products, but some of the, the few that have approved these products, there are still significant speed bumps to getting customers into those products. So most of those organizations have mandated to financial advisors that you can't actively market these products to your customers. They have to come to you and request to buy Bitcoin ETFs in an unsolicited manner. So when you put an order through on whatever system you're using at whatever wealth management firm that you work at, it has to be marked as unsolicited, meaning there's a reason for that. There's a compliance reason for that. 
most super, super risky, you know, organizations that decide what is super risky product, we don't want to touch it. In fact, we want to somewhat discourage our clients from touching it. So we have to tell them that if you want this product, it's coming from you. We're going to mark your order as unsolicited so that if things go badly, it's not our fault. That's what's happening at Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, um, UBS, right? Those are massive, massive organizations here in the United States. And whether the products are not approved or you, they have to be marked as unsolicited in terms of being purchased, um, we're still at the tip of the iceberg here, folks, with these products and the inflows into, into uh, Bitcoin ETFs. There are still significant roadblocks um, from a retail standpoint. And uh, yeah, it's great. You know, Fidelity, you can go buy it. Some other platforms, you can go buy it. But those are online, basically online pat platforms. Guys that have three to five to 10 to 12 million bucks and meet with a financial advisor every six weeks to review their portfolio, these products are effectively not available to them yet. And the only way that they get them at the UBS, by the way, UBS is the largest global wealth manager. They're the biggest wealth manager on the planet by assets, right? So the only way that you get it at an organization like that is you pound the table in front of your financial advisor and say, I don't care what you have to market when I order it. I want it. Then they'll allow them to purchase some. So, and let me just share the uh, and Andrew. Let me just share the numbers just so to give the audience an idea of of uh, how well the ETFs are doing. The net inflow. So we got a thirteenth consecutive day of net inflows, and now it's at six hundred and thirty-one million dollars for yesterday, uh, which is the highest we've had. And that's uh, after obviously Grayscale's dominating, not Grayscale, sorry, uh, BlackRock's dominating. But uh, Grayscale's outflows are at seventy-three million dollars for yesterday. Um, so it's going to give everyone an idea of, of um, what we've reached so far. And I don't know what the total numbers are. I know, Rand, you talked about it in your show and how we're speeding expectations. So I'll try to find the total numbers and share it. But Dave, go ahead. Oh, Rand, do you want to share the total numbers yeah. if you know them? BlackRock is $300 million shy of uh, $5 billion. Now, I don't know if you remember, but when we started speaking about the ETF, we said if we can get to, um, to $5 billion, after three months, that would be like huge. Now, one ETF has got five billion after you know 30, 30 days, 35 days. And what's the total of all ETFs? You have that number? I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. Yeah, I'll try to find it now. Uh, Dave, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to, two things. First, I agree with the overall what, what Rand was saying, but a couple things on the mechanics are not right. So the, the way it works, just so you all understand, is, is all day long, you can see, let me go get my watch list up from my Schwab account, because it's the easiest way to see it. All day long, you can see bidding and offering on the exchange. And generally speaking, uh, it's funny, yeah, Schwab's having problems, or at least my account was. You know, right now, the iBit is trading 29.67 to 29.68. So it's a penny wide, it's free to trade.
So really tight. The reason that's true is there are people who are trading the ETFs in and out. Market makers are sitting there and they're offering at a price that's at a premium. And when they need to cover, they can hedge small amounts however they want to hedge it. When they need to cover, they go to the ETF issuer and they say, okay, how do I buy? And they buy in blocks called a creation unit. If you've been watching, you can set your watch by the fact that there's been a rally every day between three and four, because that's the time that the actual buying is happening on behalf of the ETF. I mean, it can happen any time. You know, you have to work with the issuer. But in general, they hedge and then buy at, at, at that period of time. It's not a day later. So the, the day later buying is because people think that there's going to be or they know that there's going to be demand because people in the U.S. tend to buy on the market open, which starts at so, 930. And so people run in front of this. I've seen this explain story to before. Me, explain to me if, if, if BlackRock sells $600 million today, how do they then refill the ETF with the $600? The day that they, a, a lot of that buying is happening between three and four in the afternoon, although they can, there's nothing stopping you, I'm pretty sure, going to BlackRock and saying, hey, I want to buy uh, $100 million of the ETF, what's the price? And BlackRock goes to their market makers and they get the price and they do it. Now, the way it happens functionally, so you all understand it, is there's a reference price. And each ETF is slightly different, but there's a reference price at a point in time. And so they agree that at this point in time, that's going to be the price. So what actually happens is market makers are buying Bitcoin into that time period in order to achieve that price. So you buy it on the way up. And you you finish it, you're done, and then you deliver the and you deliver the Bitcoin, and, and that's how it works. And and because it's cash creation, it's a little bit comp- more complicated, but it's more or less the same thing. And Dave, where are they actually buying them from? Is some like on exchange or from market makers, or who are they actually buying them from? Well, I mean, I, I happen to look yesterday. People made the the claim that well, you can see it was all buying on Coinbase. Interesting claim. So I went and I looked. Fifty four percent of the time, Coinbase was the best bid yesterday during that three to four period of time when the market was rallying. So it looks like a lot of the buying is happening there, but it's not exclusively there. I mean, they can buy OTC. There are a lot of OTC brokers that are trading this stuff and working with uh, the ETF issuers. But Uh, the the important point is it's real demand, and there's not nearly as much of a lag as Rand was saying. That's all I was trying to get at. But everything else that you guys are saying, and particularly what Andrew was saying, he's absolutely right. I mean, it's you, people need to understand the fact that that still 70 some odd percent of all financial advisors either aren't allowed or being actively discouraged from from selling this stuff. Not they, that, they, are they ever taking price risk in that in that dis, in that time? They can. That's, it's quite a job, right? Well, I mean, it, it, they can, but they're letting the market. I can only hear Dave. I, I can only hear Dave. Oh, Simon, can, I'll bring Simon. Bring me up. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll bring Simon down and back up. Um, um, he might be the issue. Uh, go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I was saying, it, 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 for the most part, the issuers are working with market makers and, you know, LP, what you guys would call liquidity providers. And liquidity, and so the, the agreement is, I have to do this in cash, so I need to set a reference price at some point in the future, five minutes from now, ten minutes from now, an hour from now, whatever it is. And when that, at, at that price, whatever it's determined, you need to be able to deliver me the Bitcoin. So they make that side deal, and so then they make that, that, that price. So that's what's happening. 
you know, if you think about it, it's, it's not that dissimilar, just it's happening much more frequently than the way mutual funds work. What a mutual fund does is you are you you provide money and you are guaranteed to be in at the NAV of the mutual fund at a at the time of day that's the actual market close. In this case, there's no actual close, but there are times and each issuer is slightly different. And you'd have to get you, you should see if if the Bitwise people want to disclose how and when they do that and what and how it works. I don't know each one of them what the mechanics are, but what I do know is that. There's not this huge lag. The, the fact is, it's just continual rolling demand. And it's, it's more like a swarm of, of, of piranha, you know, attacking, you know, than, than it is, you know, one big whale. Everyone who says, oh, it's BlackRock buying. No, it's not BlackRock buying. It's BlackRock's clients buying. And, and there's lots of them. That's really what's going on here. I, I'd say it's that. And also because um, people are looking at Bitcoin as an asset that, they can hold like 1% of their total net worth in or 0.5%, 3%. They're not going to be as worried if the price goes down. So they're not going to panic sell as much. So this is really good setup, even despite. And I think the fact that Andrew pointed out that so much of um, the financial advisors and the Merrill Lynch's of the world, UBS, they don't allow their clients to do this except on your reverse inquiry. That's actually really good setup for a sustainable kind of somewhat more gradual increase in the Bitcoin price uh, where us Bitcoiners are used to very violent swings in the price, both up and down. This will be a, a dampening effect where you have some people that are allowing their folks to invest, whether it's Goldman or Schwab or whatever, and then others do not yet. And then the last thing I'd say is, Registered investment advisors who are going to tell their clients they haven't come in yet and at scale are going to tell their clients allocate 2%, allocate 1% to Bitcoin. That's going to cause folks to rebalance, right? Every quarter, every six months, however often they do it. And they'll be selling when the market is higher and buying when the price is lower. And that's also really good for price, sort of the sustained momentum upwards. Teres, linking that to what Ryan was mentioning earlier, I think this is a tweet he's referring to or the one he's reading from Fred Krueger. He says, the 2020 bull run was primarily fueled by borrowed money and leverage. Three hours capital, borrowing from Genesis to buy GBTC, Dara Luna buying GBTC by issuing stable coins, DGENs borrowing from Binance to play 100, uh, 100x perps. Um, and then he says, this new market is based on asset allocation interest in Bitcoin is 10 times as big or more, and it's much more stable, kind of linking to what you said, Terrence. Uh, would anyone, Terrence, I'll let you comment on this. And maybe does anyone disagree with that, uh, with that narrative, that this time it is different? I don't disagree. I also want to point out something. I pointed it out last week that the other differences, you'll all notice that this rally has been three to four, you know, anywhere from three to five percent a day for multiple days, not 20% God candle up. Mm. And that is exactly what happened. We've, As I said, I, I was starting to say, I've seen this movie before. This is extremely similar to the way the tech sector traded in early 2000. I mean, extremely similar. Uh, um, when that rally went to its what, what was called a blow off top, but it wasn't, you know, God candles, right? You know, it was three to five percent a day for a couple of months. Now, in that case, they got way overextended beyond price to buy every fundamental metric based on the growth of the Bitcoin network and the halvening and what, how we look at all competitive metrics. Bitcoin isn't even close to extend it. In fact, we all look at it and say, well, 
you know, 10 X this and we're at digital gold and there might, it might, and that's not even the top. So it's, it is easy to see this sort of rally happening. Obviously if there's a stock market disaster, you know, it'll pause or go down, but, Mm. but the fact is this is much more like money coming into the system. I, I, I'll tell you when it's over, it's over when every Uber driver starts asking me about, as always, and dog Uh, uh, and that has to I see, Terence, you actually replied to the tweet before going to whoever's jumping in. I think it was you, Simon. But Terence, you did reply and kind of explaining in a, in a very basic way what uh, Fred is talking about, how this time will be different. You said it'll be less volatile, number one. Number two, the, the market will be slower, more sustainable right up. Dave, that kind of links to what you just said. Stairs up, stairs down, but more stairs up than down. <laughs> Terence, kind of oversimplifying it here. Smaller bubbles, smaller corrections. It's actually lower volatility on the way up. Uh, you don't say how far, you know, how, you know where, where do you think we'll peak, Terrence, before going to Simon? Oh, I have no idea. But I think a lot of it depends on the marketing and the FOMO. We, we, one thing I'm very happy about is we are replacing, right, some of the less uh, savory characters, whether it's um, SBF or CZ, with uh, BlackRock and um, Fidelity. And so a, it's much more credible to people and I think more sustainable. But yeah, I'm not great at price predictions, to be honest. Uh, there are others on stage that can do a much better job than me, I think. Scott? Uh, sorry, Simon? Yeah, there's a, few, there's a few interesting things to talk about there. So so basically on the rebalancing, if if rebalancing becomes a big thing where a lot of a significant volume is saying X percent in Bitcoin, then whenever stocks outperform Bitcoin, then you'd have a rebalancing, and every time Bitcoin outperforms stocks, you'd have a selling pressure that would put it more in line with correlation to stock markets. On the whole, SBF, um, you know, all those three arrows, capital, or the degen in, um, don't underestimate the ability for TradFi hedge funds to do exactly the same um, at much bigger scale and still blow up the whole thing. DJ, you're talking hedge. TradFi degenning. Yeah, TradFi degenning is just as bad as um, crypto unregulated degenning. So you still get the same things. It's not just BlackRock and you know the asset managers. You're, you're going to have all the leverage products that will be built on top of this. Um, you know, you're probably not going to get 100x leverage, but you're going to just be doing the same thing with with bigger numbers. So I'd, I'd expect. I'd expect some definite disasters along the way. We always have in every TradFi financial product. And and Matthew, Matthew, I just sent you an invite up. I know you're always in the audience. We're good to have you on the panel. I saw your your comment. Just for the audience, we do go through the comments that I just did. And so Matthew's comment and brought him up. That's a bubble in the bottom right corner. He said, looks like seven, and and Terrence, you replied to him as well. Looks like 735,000 BTCs allocated to ETFs as of market opening today. That's three point. 5% 5% of all BTC. So what you're saying, Terrence, what essentially Matthew's saying, oh, there he is, Matthew's up. So Matthew, can you just explain uh, just for the audience what you're saying, what that means for the industry and for the markets? Yeah, good morning, everybody. I think what's really important to see here, and I really love what Andrew mentioned, especially with regards to the fact that you can't necessarily, as a, as a registered investment advisor, you are precluded from or required to not mention these and people have to come to you to get them. Uh, This inflow has just been awesome to see. And certainly what we're looking at now is that three and a half percent of all circulating Bitcoin, actually all Bitcoin in total supply are now 
being custodied or, or now being held in in these ETFs. So, uh, and that's crazy to see just in the the month and a half or month or so that this has been out. Um, you know, <laughs> it almost begs the question: like, at what point does this continue? on 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 this trajectory and does it keep going up and at what point do do you have a ton of of holdings now in these institutions uh where we actually get to a point where people might be trading in satoshis if you can imagine that like satoshi is the the smallest value of a bitcoin that you can get to and we might get to the point where the the value of bitcoin becomes so uh, obscenely expensive that people now have to transmit in in the the very small small digits of it. So it's just been amazing to see the influx of this from from an institutional perspective. You definitely have seen pent up demand for the past decade of people trying to get this into either their four hundred one ks or seeing in, uh, endowments, pension funds, etc. Now having quote unquote permission to go ask their advisor whether this is something that they should um, or, or you know that they can go put into their um, to their portfolio. Definitely on my side as an RIA have been advocating for one even two percent. You know it's some of the the larger cases five percent allocations um, and and really looking to educate people on why this is an important ecosystem to be a part of asymmetric returns um, and and things especially regards to you know non non correlated assets as we saw yesterday. 500 per, you know 500 point drop in the and the in the Dow uh, and, and you see Bitcoin rip so there's there's really some evidence here that that there's a narrative that comes changing with this and definitely agree that as this grows you're going to see less and less volatility because now you've got more and more of this capital spread around and and hopefully you see a, a lot less um, I don't want to say market um, volatility but sort of the the sort of nefarious activities that go on with some of these with some of these larger tokens. James? Yeah, I wanted to um, well echo a lot of what was just said there by Matthew. I mean, very similar. So I'm going around speaking to institutional investors. They're all buying for the reason of diversification. It's the main thing. Um, some of them, I'd say it's speculation, but a lot of them are just frustrated with the correlation between equity and bonds and are looking for assets to diversify, and Bitcoin certainly fits the bill there. Um, just in answer to your question earlier, you were asking about price and what might happen. Um, I recently wrote a bit of research, and there does seem to be a link between these fund flows and the Bitcoin price. So perhaps one of the better ways to look at it is uh, flows as a percentage of total assets under management. So let's say if we said we saw 10% flows as a percentage of assets under management, that's about the three three point five billion we've seen year to date flows, um, that would equate to a price of around fifty eight thousand. Now we're not actually that far off that. Stretch that out a bit further. Let's say we saw six billion dollars of inflows. That'd be twenty percent of assets under management. That would equate to a price of around eighty one thousand. And if we were to beat the twenty twenty one record inflows at ten thousand, let's say we went to twelve thousand. Uh, of inflows, that's 40% of assets under management, that would be uh, a Bitcoin price of 127000 So that gives you some ideas what could happen. Matthew, you agree with those numbers? Yeah, I definitely don't think it's out of the question. And those even seem conservative, you know, based on some of the things that, that he just mentioned is uh, those kinds of inflows and this kind of consistency. That's what I, I really like to see this this sort of consistency over time, 5% here, 10% there, and not this sort of God candle that that we are so accustomed to and some of the other depths of the crypto space. Being able to see this as a longer term play and just being able to sit on it and see that these inflows are going to keep happening 
is going to be really, really interesting to see. And hopefully we see that consistency. I, I am still a little cautious about how we approach the halving um, just in terms of price action. But I, I think over time, you're going to see a lot of people uh, from a from an investment advisory perspective saying, you know, hey, here's the, you know, when they have the ability to go sort of solicit this in a different manner, they can sort of obfuscate some of the technological pieces of this and just go to somebody and say, look, there's some technological changes that are happening with this particular token. There's there's going to cut production and that's going to increase demand and you know supply is going to go lower. So there's a really big narrative here and, and a powerful narrative for registered investment advisors to say, this is the time to get in. It's, it's just a great buy and hold strategy and, and you can enjoy these different asymmetric returns and, and non-correlated returns. Okay. A, ahead, case could, a, a case could be made that this move, the first 45 days of, of these ETFs, a price movement in Bitcoin, it is traditional finance, institutional buying, okay? Because there's not, there is very, very limited traditional finance and wealth management retail access to these products, but there is almost unfettered traditional finance institutional access to these products. So what you're seeing is TradFi on the institutional side for all intents and purposes. And by the way, this has happened for 100 years. Institutions front running their retail clients. OK, um, it's it, it just. That just is what it is. That's what happens. So you 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 get a product that you think is superior and you want to get your hands on and the system inside of traditional finance is set up where institutions get access to that product before retail does. Um, whatever the philosophical reasons of why that happens, it is the way that the system works. So retail has not shown up on the traditional finance side. And it's the reason why a couple of weeks ago I said I'm bullish short term, midterm and long term, because short term, we have this ridiculous sell the news narrative that got blown out of the water. and We're watching it right now. Um, BlackRock doesn't show up to any party without the assumption that they're going to dominate that party. The having is what I don't know. A, a month and a half away, right? And then at some point, the LPLs of the world are going to approve this product. Right now, they're waiting another three months, and that's 22,000 advisors that cannot get these products into the hands of their retail clients. You know, uh, I would assume that a good portion of the RIAs that are on this call uh, custody either through Schwab um, or Pershing. There's only like three left now. They've all consolidated, right? So even inside of those organizations, you have to position a purchase in an unsolicited manner still. At some point, that cap will come off. Um, so it's it's midterm. When that cap comes off, we, we have another leg of significant uptake um, in the product. It's really fascinating to watch. It, and it's happening much faster then the gold ETF trade happened. And why? Well, because society always moves faster a decade than the next day, decade, the next decade. Really and Andrew, it's not, it's not even kind of the sinister type of front running because it's a commodity backed ETF. And 
all the economics of Bitcoin are fully transparent and known. And so even before the launch, anyone could have bought Bitcoin. So <coughs> front-running it is not really even Correct. sinister in this case. It, it's not sinister. It just it's just is the way that the system works, at least here in the United States and, of course, across the globe, that institutions um, are set up to, quote-unquote, take this risk in the beginning, um, and then it flows down to retail. Tom? Yeah, so real uh, morning, everybody. Real briefly, really excited about the background bid that we've all been talking about for a while. It's just beginning from RAs and retail and others, and that's what's propped up the stock market the last few years, right? It's that background bid for equities every time we rebalance or have a down day and things flowing from 401ks biweekly. We all, we all sort of understand this. But the one thing that I think we're not appreciating for the past few days is the liquidations as we get to these key numbers. I, I really used to dismiss technicals and key resistance levels, but it's very apparent in a market as thinly traded as Bitcoin, um, even still thinly traded, despite uh, the, the level of institutional adoption. How much can get liquidated quickly? So we had, you know, close to 100 million liquidated around that $50,000 level. And as we get to key, key numbers going ahead, we're going to see more liquidation. So the direction is, is just up and up for Bitcoin. Um, you know, obviously we're going to reset these levels, but, you know, liquidations in the short term, it, it would have sort of helped there. Simon. Yeah. The, the other trade is I, I really like the, the, not talked about much stable coin to bitcoin trade so whether like the traditional money service providers that start issuing stable coins start to follow the tether model now that there's etfs where you could say bit you know tether gets all the money from purchasing the treasuries gives everyone a free stable coin and then uses the excess profit profits from the treasury yield in order to buy Bitcoin. And they're just accumulating a massive amount of Bitcoin from that trade. So if, if we start to get the PayPal issuers that see like the synergy in stablecoin adoption, which is essentially, you know, the stablecoins are being issued in Ethereum, Ethereum is staking, the staking then gives you the a share of your transaction fee. And if you can get greater and greater disruption from banking to stablecoin and then back by treasuries and then treasury yield allows you to buy more Bitcoin, you do that through the Bitcoin ETF, you've just got this, this, this nightmare of disruption that can come from Bitcoin and stablecoins and using that trade. And it's, it's going to be a really interesting one to watch. Dave William. Yeah, I, I think it's also worth pointing out because people were talking about liquidations and you're talking about hedging that, you know, we've seen today, actually, uh, the CME futures trading at a much bigger premium than they had at any point since, you know, the ETFs went live, which which tells me that that some people who are using them as their primary hedging vehicle kind of got got caught short. Uh, and, and it's been more volatile today. And so, you know, when, when you, you know, Look, that's what our, our, our clients have access to all this stuff. If, if you're looking at this, the technicals of the market are different. We also saw the first signs today of funding rates uh, showing some speculation. Nothing huge, not not compared to what we've seen. And, you know, certainly at the, at the all-time highs was much, much more than that. But we definitely are seeing some of that. And so this is part of that, that kind of restraint on volatility. But everyone's really attuned to that. And it's important to watch. 
And that's one of the reasons why you don't expect it to do have God candles each day. You expect more of this kind of climb a wall of worry kind of thing. And, and I think it's important to be looking at that. Go ahead, William. Yeah, hi. So um, I'm a little bit uh, different in terms of what I'm thinking here right now. And I'm not, uh, I wouldn't get too carried away trying to find a cause and effect thing between what's happening in the in the markets and, and Bitcoin and, and the prices in general. Because, again, we shouldn't confuse correlation with causation. And, uh, yeah, you, you, you can draw all kinds of correlations from the economy or from the Bitcoin ETF, ETF volumes. But the cause and effect is not 100% clear, in my opinion. I think there is more of a second-order causation and that is perhaps more of a mood qualitative kind of related thing and less of a of a purely quantitative uh, kind of correlation a causation so that's not to say that the etf inflows are not meaningful they are but there's more to it than just the numbers and to put th things in perspective aside from the grayscale size which is the old money uh, the new new money into these etfs is still at about 11 billion dollars which is only 1% of the Bitcoin supply. Uh, so in my opinion, I think we need to see this go up to the 5 to 10% range uh, to see it become more significant, no matter where, the, where these inflows come from. Um, so that's kind of my viewpoint on that. And your thoughts on the numbers that uh, Matthew mentioned earlier, and I've got another TED Talks macro point, it posted something similar. He said with each $100 million in net inflows, Bitcoin's price has surged approximately $290. For every billion dollars of net inflows, Bitcoin price has risen by roughly 2.9K. Um, I would like to get your thoughts on this, William and Matthew. Any any further comments on the on the price? And and also, Matthew, like the question will be, like, wouldn't the, the, the markets kind of – uh, preempt that and respond in advance based on the inflows and, and projected inflows? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, there is correlation in the growth for sure. And uh, the question I was discussing this with Dave on Twitter, um, we have to, to think, project, like by the end of the year, what do you think? Will we get to 5%, 4%, 8%? Um, uh, the, the number on average, on average, most ETFs uh, reach up to 14% of the markets that they represent uh, on average. So maybe that is like the, the next goal post. And uh, I'm not sure how quickly we're going to get there, but that's kind of what we, we can keep an eye on. Matthew? Yeah, it, I think one of the most fundamental things for people to remember is that this is probably the best lesson in supply and demand that you could get uh, with respect to how markets really deal with the value of something. And, and as people have said, you know, there's, there's no value in this. It's, it's just a funny money or, you know, lottery tickets or fun coupons. Like we put value on something as a collective society. And in order to do that, and, and, and the fact that we do do that means that there's really no end to this price in some sense. This is a supply and demand equation. And if you keep getting inflows, if you keep getting people interested, you know, you've got one in five people right now in America own cryptocurrency. So that means there's 80% of the investable population that doesn't even have 
exposure to cryptocurrencies in this sense. So we are, again, at the tip of the iceberg in terms of people understanding that this is something that they can put their money into and not get laughed out of meetings or out of their Thanksgiving dinners, right? Like now we're going to come to Thanksgiving this year being like, oh yeah, remember three years ago when you didn't think this was a great idea? My mom thought this was a Ponzi scheme back in 2017. Like now she's asking me about this stuff. So we're, we're, we're right at the great cost, right? With, with this narrative of just supply and demand really, really being the, the biggest piece here. Tom? Yeah, great points. You know, I heard something the other day that I thought was pretty funny. So Americans, you know, own 60% or 60% of Americans own equities and we're generally risk takers, right? If you look conversely at someone like China, only 20% or so of households own equities. So U.S. folks, which kind of drive the um, overall risk taking appetite in the world are, are going to be buying this. And we only own 20% today, as the speaker just mentioned. So, you know, we, we have a big gap to fill there. You know, in terms of price targets and flows for the rest of the year, obviously we have the having upcoming. What what I think folks are underappreciating there is while this having is reducing supply in terms of Bitcoin much less than the previous ones did, the aggregate dollar amount is much higher because the price of Bitcoin is much higher. So, you know, we're going to have eight to ten billion dollars less of Bitcoin put into the market annually. And what that means is each one of these miners who are actually, um, you know, mining Bitcoin generally sell a lot of that, right, to fund their operations, particularly when their profit margins are going down. So we're going to have seven to ten billion dollars of annual sell pressure on Bitcoin also exit the market, in addition to the continued bid from ETFs and others as these come online uh, with RAs. So you know, I think we have a sort of dual, you know, reduced sell pressure and increased buy pressure that's going to be pretty explosive for price, particularly. Particularly when you've seen post having, you know, Bitcoin go up ten to you know a thousand percent, which sample size of three or, or four, whatever it is, you know, not 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 huge, but in aggregate, you know, I think two to five x on Bitcoin for the next year is is very very attainable because of the, those dynamics. Two to five x over the next year. Exactly. Yeah. Do you expect a similar? And you can uh, go ahead. Yeah, and you could just roll those dynamics out. Um, so I just retweeted a chart here, a great chart from Galaxy that just put out sort of what you can see post each having, and the you know outcomes are between ten and a thousand or ten and a hundred x for each having cycle. So if you just say, okay, you know, a lot of economic weight in this asset, it's going to be less than than previous uh, cycles. You know, two to five x is is certainly reasonable, and you could just roll that out into Ethereum, which is obviously lag Bitcoin and Solana as you know, sort of, you know, beta plus 0.2, 0. 0.4 for each one of those assets. But yeah, certainly attainable target in my mind by this time next year, two to five. And, and your comments on, uh, yeah, James, I'll give you the mic. Just one more question to Tom before going to James. Uh, I think it was Simon that talked about uh, hedge fund degening. How, how could that look like? Hedge funds are certainly underexposed here. I, you know, I'm, I'm frankly less concerned about the hedge fund crowd than the institutional investor crowd because hedge funds are traders. They're not, most of them are not buy and hold fundamental investors who are going to meaningfully allocate here for, for long swaths of time and, and hold the asset. I'm, I'm more concerned with the, the bigger crowds, uh, like, you know, the institutions, like endowments, foundations, et cetera, which are certainly coming because of these, um, these unlocks here and, and the, broader acceptance that this is not a quote-unquote criminal asset anymore. James? Yeah, I just wanted to make this point that the thing about supply with Bitcoin is it is perfectly known. Um, 
And one of the kind of beefs I have with this kind of stock to flow approach or any kind of extrapolations of, of supply is that, you know, certainly for something like gold, um, the new, new supply of gold that comes on online every year is around like 1%. And actually, that's the same for, for Bitcoin now after the halving. It would be a very small amount of new supply coming online every year. And as a consequence, you know, if you look at gold at least, actually supply data is an increasingly irrelevant part of uh, price movements and it's more about the demand side of of the story now i'm not saying demand's a lot small but i just think we have to be cognizant of that pat that point and people have extrapolated looking looking at the, the sample size of three for the last halving and said okay well the price has risen quite a lot afterwards you could argue that it was just a stimulus checks in 2020 that pushed up the price and not the halving, um, uh, which leaves you a sample set of two. And I think it's we have to be a little bit cautious about trying to extrapolate supply and what it means for price. And I think actually the demand story is incredibly important. Um, question for the panel. Can anyone, uh, Zach, good to have you back and maybe get your thoughts on, on the ETF's performance. We were talking about it earlier. Um, but does anyone have a bearish scenario can play devil's advocate? On, on how the market could go over the next six to 12 months, any potential black swan events, maybe a CPI numbers continuing to disappoint. Any scenario where we might start seeing, you know, not want to see a, a all-time highs for the next 24, 48 months? Yeah, I think there are three. I think uh, one is just macro, right? CPI could go the wrong way. The traditional markets could go the wrong way. And that could drag Bitcoin down a lot and drag altcoins down even more. Um, I think there could be the second is I think there could be some things that are priced in that are not as powerful uh, as they seem. So that could be ETF demand. That could be the effect of the having. Uh, the having in some sense could be very bearish for miners. It could cause some miners to close down and hash rate to go down. That could seem bearish. And then the third big one I think people are not focused on enough is the regulatory environment. This is less about Bitcoin specifically, but it is about some of the biggest the most important places that people buy Bitcoin. And there are still these massive cases that you know we talk about sometimes, but really they are the 800-pound gorilla in the room uh, where the SEC is going after Coinbase and Binance and Kraken. And you know there is some small good news here and there. My expectation, though, is the SEC is going to win all three of those cases. And that could be very bearish for the rest of crypto in the United States, which could bring the ecosystem down. I, I don't know that any of those three or all of those three will play out, but those, I think, are obvious Sort of possible bearish scenario. You, you don't think you don't think we're past the the, the fears that regulators will crack down and, and kind of shut the party down with BlackRock in the game with the ETF already approved, um, and the, the talk about an ETH ETF getting approved as well potentially. I don't think year. regulators are going to shut down Bitcoin. I also don't think regulators are going to shut down ETH, and I think maybe we eventually get an ETH ETF. Uh, I would expect that in the next two to five years. I don't think we're going to get that soon because the SEC is going to fight it. But the rest of crypto, they're pretty clear they want to shut down like 99% of the coins that are listed on Coinbase. William? Did, did you watch uh, Gary Gensler this morning on CNBC, by the way? I felt he was quite subdued, less combative, uh, more uh, calm, and uh, I'm not sure how to interpret it, but uh, I felt better. Um, so I think, as you said, Mario, I think the, other, the those days of um, being very tough on crypto are over. I didn't see the same game. They were just talking that, about Bitcoin uh, we, this morning on CNBC. They were talking about the ETFs and Bitcoin. Yeah. And the SEC views Bitcoin, other than the ETF questions, outside of their jurisdiction. The SEC is, I mean, there are people like Elizabeth Warren that are going directly against Bitcoin, and there are stuff on the like 
you know, uh, money laundering FUD front that we do need to worry about and we could get bad legislation. But the SEC war on crypto is not about Bitcoin that they were talking about this morning. It's really about the altcoins possibly excluding Ethereum. Can I ask a question? Go ahead, James. Yeah, about sort of risk factors. In my mind, it's been mentioned briefly slightly before, but um, the Houthi rebel problem in the Middle East, and I seem a bit far away, but um, it's if we see Iran get involved and it creates a essential sort of blockade of the Red Sea, big spike in oil prices, big spike in goods and commodities, that will put the brakes on any kind of potential rate cuts this year and even potential rate rises because they're factors kind of out of the Fed or the ECB's control. And I think that's a big risk scenario for, for Bitcoin. And I don't think it would perform so well if the Fed hiked rates again. Any thoughts on this one, William? Yeah, I would say the opposite. I mean, if there, if there is more uncertainty in the geopolitical uh, arena, uh, now people think that Bitcoin is the safe haven from all these uh, uh, events. Uh, in my opinion, the, the one thing I'm scare, scared about perhaps is from a black swan perspective, maybe a security event of some sort, another big hack or uh, some, some thing we haven't thought about. That is more troublesome than um, some of the other things because Bitcoin and crypto uh, has proven to be very resilient and, and more and more, the more turmoil there is in the world, the more uh, Bitcoin and this ecosystem is looking and appearing to look like more and more stable compared to all the crazy stuff that's happening out there. Simon? Yeah, agree with um, William. I think initially, yeah, you get those um, shocks and corrections, but it doesn't take long for people to discover what Bitcoin actually is. And so the... Yeah, the, the, the kind of the beauty and the tragedy of Bitcoin is that the use case has always been hyper-accelerated by disasters. Um, and those have been some of the biggest spikes in Bitcoin. So I'd expect um, initially, you know, you, you got that during the whole COVID thing. You had a massive crash and then people realized actually Bitcoin was a place to be. Um, and, and it takes a little bit of a while for people to figure out that it, has a, it is actually what uh, Larry Fink was pitching when he first decided to enter Bitcoin, which it is a flight to safety when you give it mm. the time to actually figure out. Uh, uh, and and don't, don't if we don't the the tether trade I keep talking about, that mm. as rates go up, stable coins get more get um, higher amount of money to put into Bitcoin with excess profits. That that's a really interesting hedge as stable coins get more adoption. And um, excluding a CPI surprise, is there any other um, any other points that we should be paying attention to that could stop Bitcoin from reaching all-time highs over the next 12, 24 months? If from a macro perspective, everything goes well and, and there's no surprises. Simon? Uh, sorry, say the question again, Mary. So if we don't get any CPI disappointments over the next uh, 12 months and we start getting rate cuts later this year, if that goes ahead, is there any other surprises, anything else we should be worried about that could uh, prevent Bitcoin from reaching all-time highs in the next uh, couple of years? Yeah, or even next, uh, let's say, 12 the, months? Uh, it's like 
for 14 years, we've been picking every single thing that could go wrong and we're starting to run out of what they are. We're now starting to hit the like the real extreme conspiracy theories of what makes Bitcoin fail. Maybe maybe um, TradFi can execute a 51% attack even though it's against their interest or we're hitting the quantum resistant cryptography and quantum computers. Take. We're hitting those stages of the real extremes of what can make Bitcoin fail from here. Matthew, Terrence? I was just going to say, I totally agree with the quantum computing piece. That is probably the biggest worry in my mind, especially considering if, if you could break sort of the, the, the Bitcoin ecosystem, it, it could really just bring everything to zero. Now, of course, the other question is, if, if I, you know, if that would have to be a nefarious attack for somebody to use a quantum computer to sort of disrupt the ecosystem. And so you kind of have to think that this is like a mutually assured destruction scenario. This is like a total annihilation of a lot of the work that's been put into the blockchain. You guys, if we get, but Matthew, if, if you guys are starting to talk about quantum computing, it just shows how bullish we are. This is the, the other than, than, than macro concerns or CPI concerns. If the next concern you have is, is quantum computing, then uh, we seem to be doing pretty damn well. We, we, you got to remember that breaks everything. That everything is broken with quantum computing breaking cryptography it's not just bitcoin yeah there's a lot more to worry about than just bitcoin i mean uh traditional finance typically operates on 128 bit encryption so the whole of the banking system and online payments would fail and yeah it would be terrible all right well uh, any last uh, quick comments terence i think we've covered things uh, yeah, well i want to so. i won't talk about altcoins today i think i think uh terence <laughs> make sure you don't join us either tomorrow after tomorrow don't join us because we'll be talking about uh, altcoins and uh, i don't know you'll be too happy yeah i don't want to get triggered so um i just wanted to respond to what william said the only thing i push back on william is what you said about the the hacks and stuff and so in bitcoin even if there is a hack or a bug you can always run the earlier version of Bitcoin Core, which is the most popular client implementation by far, or an alternative that doesn't have the, the bug that would have been introduced. Um, also, people can, the, the developers are strong enough that they'll they'll fix the bug. Or, or um, And so I think uh, with Bitcoin, at least, I don't know as much about the altcoins. I think uh, Bitcoin's pretty safe at this stage from a, a, um, a catastrophic bug. And before we, we wrap, I just want to go to Marshall. Marshall, you jumped in last minute. I'm going through the comments. Um, just no one has a good bearish scenario, Marshall. I think the, 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 the macro macro black swan events could be the only scenario where we don't reach all-time highs in the next 12 months, 16 months. Where do you stand on this, Marshall, and your thoughts on the on the market's performance over the last couple of weeks? Mario, brother, man, good to be here. Thanks for having me up. Look, it's playing out just like we thought. Bitcoin is eating all the things. You short this thing, your face is going to get shredded, and there ain't no doubt about that, all right? So bears, watch out because we're coming. <laughs> great, <laughs> great, great bearish scenario. Appreciate it, uh, Marshall, balancing it out, <laughs> Simon. Yeah, we've even, we're even losing the Satoshi one because Craig Wright says that he, uh, he chucked away all the keys and he destroyed them. So we're not even got the million bitcoins moving. I'm joking. Uh, cool. So there's, uh, no one, no one has any bearish scenarios here uh, for the audience. I apologize. I'll try to get some bearish tomorrow um, to get some different perspectives. But everyone's bullish. The fear and greed index kind of proves that. And uh, congrats on everyone that's um, that's in the market right now. But um, and then we've covered it pretty well. And we'll do an alt show maybe in the next couple of days, and we'll have when Ryan is uh, fully with us because that's his area of uh, of passion. Uh, but I think that's it. Now, so you can shut the space down. Scott, hopefully we'll have you back back in action tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. I'm here, technically. I am here. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Good. It was a great show. Well done, man. Great show. Thank you. Yeah, I really think I did a great job. So incredible job. Incredible. Your, your thoughts, Scott, so before, before, if Nasty Akash didn't hang up, any quick thoughts on the market's performance? Uh, on on the, what was discussed yeah, just now? Yeah, I, I'm super bearish. I think everything's going to zero. So <laughs> okay, okay, go go take all right, go take your medicine. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Nasty, end the show. End Very the show good. now. Thanks. Bye, everyone.